This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. How many out there, and put up your hands, <laughs> have heard of Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal? podcast this is alfred hitchcock (laughs) who said to me once grace kelly the most promiscuous woman i've ever known i thought you ought to know that (laughs) and if you do you're the sort who will love gilbert gottfried's amazing colorful forecast gilbert gottfried's amazing colossal podcast Gilbert Gottfried's which it stands for Amazing Colossal Podcast. Da 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 doom. Now, seriously, folks, they dared me to do that. And now they're gonna give me my they're gonna give me my I'm sorry, you guys, you, please just give me my pants back, will you? This studio, anything can happen. Well but anyway, I was lured into being part of Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Uh, And I'm here, and we had a great time, and we did it all, and every syllable of it, for you. (laughs) That cabot is crazy. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. And I'm here with my co-host Frank Santo Padre and our engineer Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week was crazy enough to return for another visit, and we're thrilled to have him back. He's an actor, singer, musician, director, radio personality, former member of the Hollywood Vampires and one of the most beloved pop culture figures of the last half century. (laughs) You've you've seen and heard him in dozens of television shows, including Peyton Place, My Three Sons, Adam 12, The Ben Stiller Show, The Drew Carey Show, Batman, The Animated Series, the tick, difficult people, and of course, as the title character in Circus Boy. He's also directed dozens of stage productions, television shows, and TV movies, and appeared on Broadway in Elton John's and Tim Rice's Ida. Aida. 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 I know it had to do with my aunt. Yeah. Uh, my aunt Ida. Ida Godfrey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He played my aunt Ida. He was totally in drag and put on and he put on a fat he suit. He can do anything. <laughs> and he's coming back as my other aunt Rivka. Uh, but, uh, 
Aida and Ocho. Aida and Ocho. I know it's three syllables. <laughs> it's yeah, tough. yeah. I know that's tough. Three <laughs> syllables is tough, but you can, you can do it. You can do it. Don't interrupt me. That's very unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> and and also in feature films such as Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween and one of the strangest and most original movies ever committed to celluloid, the Jack Nicholson scripted Head. But it's his work as a singer and musician that's brought him the most acclaim as one of the four original members of the pop rock sensation known as the Monkees, a group that sold millions of records, starred in a hit primetime TV series, and played to sold-out arenas all over the world. His new album, along with his fellow surviving Monkees, Peter Tork, and former podcast guest Michael Nesmith, with whom he's also planning a 2019 tour. It's called Christmas Party. Please welcome back to the podcast a genuine icon, an artist of many talents, and one of our few guests to have worked with Lon Chaney Jr. (laughs) Our old pal, Mickey Dolenz. I'm going to need some more wine. <laughs> uh, if you don't mind, uh, please. Yes. Welcome back, uh, Mick. Hey. Hello, and thank you for having now, me back. It's fantastic. Now, I, I just realized something. We had on Mike Nesmith, mm-hmm. and we're having you for a second time. So inadvertently, this podcast has become a fuck you to Peter Tork. <laughs> <laughs> I think Peter would be quite happy. You got to ask Peter to do it. Well, uh, he, we ha- he, he's having his uh, uh, some health issues, as you've probably heard. Yes, how's he feeling? Uh, uh, okay, I mean, Good. you know, it's uh, there are issues we get uh, along the way. Nez, of course, as, yeah, you, as you know, ha- had some pretty major issues. Uh, w- well, he's good. He went out on the road. He, he's doing his uh, first national band tour. Good. And um, we're going out in March again to fill the dates we, we missed and do a bunch more. And then I think we're going to Australia, New Zealand. Not That's not all confirmed yet, but that's what... What well, what we're looking at, and um, so yeah, Nez is uh, doing pretty good. Yeah, wonderful. So he's doing well enough to travel around the oh, world. He he's just did uh, eight week. Uh, well, no, I think my three or four weeks with his uh, first national band uh, tour, and I think he's going out again in January, and and then we do a, a national international tour in March and April. So you know. I saw on the website that the Beacon in New York was one of your stops. So well, that we'll, was one of the ones that got right. can, not canceled, but right. so postponed. We'll, we'll because, be there. Excellent. Yeah. And and how's how's Peter doing? Well, you know, I haven't talked to him a lot. He's being very private uh, about everything, but I understand he does have some uh, health issues. 
and we just are praying and, and, and wishing him the best. You were surprised to hear, before we turn on the mics, you were, you were somewhat surprised to hear that Mike agreed to do this show. Yeah, Mike yeah. Uh, very seldom uh, has done uh, self-promoting publicity. We, ever, ever. We were very flattered because he had turned down doing David Letterman. Yeah, that's true. We hijacked him. We used Gilbert's son as a secret weapon. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a hotel at the Chiller Fest signing autographs, and we sent we sent Dara up with, with Gilbert's. I guess your son was five at the time yes. or four, and we sent him up, and he jumped in Nez's lap, and we had him hooked. Well, did you, did you ask him why he had uh, uh, dined to... Um, to do your show, I, I mean, think we he's shamed not. Him. Yeah, we well, didn't want to. He has, you know, notoriously has avoided doing. A yeah, he had my, my son was press, sitting in yeah. his lap the whole interview, playing with his neck. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't say. I no don't want to hear any more that. About- <laughs> okay. Now, like it said in the introduction, you worked. There was one episode. Uh, where you worked with Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah. And uh, uh, Rosemary. Uh, also, Uncle Leo. Oh, yeah, uh, Len Lesser. Len oh, Lesser. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. But you, I love Lon Chaney Jr., and you said you also lived next door to him. Yes, absolutely. Tell us about Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> well, I was, you know, four or five years old. Um, my parents told me who he was, uh, and yes, literally lived next door. And they had a pool, which uh, we did not, swimming pool. And so I remember uh, my sister and I, Coco, uh, at four, five, six years old, uh, had a, there was a hole in the fence between the two yards in, in the San Fernando Valley. And I guess that he knew my father. I think they had actually worked in a movie together. And um, he said, hey, let him come over and... Uh, you know, uh, swim in the pool. So we would duck through the fence and go swim in the pool and hang out. And <clears throat> we were obviously, you know, just little kids. And then lo and behold, 20-odd uh, years later or something, uh, he comes on the show, on the monkey show. And uh, he remembered me, and I remembered him. How about and, that? Yeah, lovely man. Very gentle, sweet, sweet man. Everybody was on that show. I think we talked. We touched on it last time. I mean, we just mentioned Rosemary, Julie Newmar, famously, uh, Liberace, your pal, Frank, your Frank pal Zappa. Zappa. Yeah, oh. yeah. It was it was a place to be seen. Well, a show that, to do at that time it was, and yeah, but well, actually, Stan Freeberg. You know, it there was a lot of people that turned it down. Interesting, too, because they didn't get it, and uh, people that did get it, like Frank Zappa, who, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned this before. I probably hadn't remembered. Um, Frank asked me to be the new drummer for the Mothers of Invention in the 70s. Very cool. Late 70s, early 80s. And I called my record company, and um, they wouldn't let me out of my contract for the recording part. And I was kind of relieved because I'm, I don't think— there's any way I could have kept up with, with, with that kind of. I mean, I, I, you know, I've listened to Frank's music, and it's like, te, you know, time signatures are thirteen seven. It's like, what is that? Well, you taught yourself the drums late. I don't know if people if people I know didn't, that. No, you, I didn't. I did. I had teachers. Yeah, I had. Yeah. Oh, you had Hal Blaine, right, right, Earl oh, Palmer. Hal Blaine. Wow. 
uh, John Carlos, you know, I had to learn fast. And, and right. Yeah, you were, you knew how to play the guitar. Yeah. But then they said, you're not going to play the guitar in this year. You're going to play drums. Yeah. Well, like when I was uh, 10 years old and they said, you're going to ride an elephant in Circus Boy. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, I said, fine, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> and I learned to ride an elephant very quickly. It's not that that difficult. Um, uh, but uh, in the monkey situation, my audition piece was on guitar. It was Johnny Be Good. Yeah, right. By Chuck Berry. Yeah. And that, but eventually, when they cast me, they said, "Okay, and you're going to be the drummer." But being a child of Hollywood and television and understanding the the uh, the whole you know deal. I said, fine, where do I start? I I could read music because of playing the guitar. So I wasn't starting from square one. I mean, I, I'd been in uh, uh, rock groups. I had my own cover band, Mickey and the One-Nighters, because it was only one night. But boy, was that a great night. And Wasn't I, there a Missing Links? Wasn't there a band? And the Missing Links, yeah. that was another right. name. And right. I was the lead singer. Uh, and doing cover tunes, basically Chuck Berry, you know, Money by Barrett Strong, you know, Walking the Dog, uh, Lucille, you know, all that 50s, 60s cover band stuff. And and who were some of the people who were writing the Monkees music back then? Total unknowns. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> people that... Never, ever wrote another song in their lives. I don't know what happened to them. There were people like this girl called Carol King and her partner, Jerry Goffin. Oh, wow. There was this guy, Neil Diamond. Whatever happened? Yeah, there was Paul Williams. There was Neil Sadaka. Yeah. There was Carol Bayer Sager, Diane Hildebrand, Boyce and Hart. Boyce and Hart. Who wrote the, the biggest, including the theme song. Right. And also produced the stuff. I don't know what John happened. St- John happened Stewart to these. wrote Daydream John Believer. John Stewart, Daydream Believer, one of the original yep. Kingston trio. That's right. Harry Nielsen, uh, you know. I don't know what happened to these people. One hit that, wonders. One yeah. hit wonders. <laughs> Gone. Disappeared forever. So they were just basically like studio musicians you had doing these songs. Well, they were writers. They were at the Brill Building. Yeah. And and that was not coincidental. A little bit of industry side note. Um, Screen Gems Columbia uh, Music was a subsidiary of Columbia Screen Gems Television which was part of Columbia Pictures. Uh, Columbia Pictures was, at that time, run by Abe Schneider, whose son, Bert Schneider, produced The Monkees. Um, but more importantly is Jackie Cooper was the head of Screen Gems Television. And so he got the it. Jackie the Jackie Cooper. The Jackie Cooper. From the Rascals. Oh, yeah. Wow. And uh, and he he got it. Uh, Somehow, I don't know, I met him, when I met him, I'm like 19 years old, but I was a fan, I mean, I remembered him. Sure. So between him and Don Kirshner and uh, Bert Schneider, Bob Bob Rafelson, Rafelson. Paul Mazursky, who wrote the pilot. Larry uh, Tucker. Larry Tucker, his partner at the time. They just, I guess, they just got it, they, you know, green-lighted a pilot, and, um, uh, you know, rest is a hysterectomy. 
It's sort of getting ahead a little bit to Mick, but I was going to ask oh, sorry. you. <laughs> I was going to ask you at what point did you realize this thing is going to take off and my life is never going to be the same? Well, that's a great question because <clears throat> it had happened to me actually once before. Uh, when I got the Circus Boy right. uh, gig, I was in the business through my parents uh, already, and my father was doing quite well. And so I understood a little bit, at least, about the business. So at 10 years old, and I remember this quite clearly, I had gone for auditions. I'd already been on a few auditions. In fact, I have some prenatal work coming out on ultrasound. Really? It's very cool. <laughs> look for that. It's, it's in a grainy and black and white. But I want to remind our listeners, too, before you go on, that your father was a very accomplished character actor, George Dolan. Absolutely. Tell, yeah. tell us uh, about your parents. Okay. What they've done. They both were in showbiz. That was uh, our family business. Uh, they met doing a play in Hollywood. My mm -hmm. mom had come from Texas to be a star. In, Janelle Johnson. Uh, sorry? Janelle. Janelle. Uh, she'd uh, driven out from uh, Austin, Texas to be an a, a actress. My father had been born in, in Italy, had, had uh, escaped M Mussolini. Uh, basically, I think, jumped ship wow. somewhere. And we're not even sure, but got out of town. Ended up in uh, Cuba, then Florida, then all over the place. Wanted to be an actor. Uh, short story, he ends up in Hollywood in the restaurant business because he knew that. Uh, and he was the maitre d' of a very famous uh, restaurant called the Trocadero back then. And the story is he was in the men's room taking a pee and <laughs> standing next to him is Howard Hughes. Oh, right. Who says, you're a really good looking guy. Uh, you're the maitre d' here, right? He says, yeah. He says, uh, and I'm an actor. Signed him to a contract. So all of a sudden we move into the Bing Crosby mansion in Toluca Lake. Incredible. Because in those days you got a contract with anybody and you had a shitload of money. So he signed with RKO first, right? No, it's Howard Hughes. With, oh, yeah, yeah, Howard Hughes yeah, was, was yeah. Our, yes, right. RKO. Right out of the right, bat. Right out of the bat. Out of the gate. But only made like one or two movies because Howard Hughes only made one or two movies. And um, uh, eventually we, we moved out of that place into a more reasonable place. But that was my life. I only knew that. I mean, I went to the set with him. Uh, I thought everybody's father was an actor. <laughs> and what what movies was he in, and who did he well, work with? Well, the biggest ones would have been Vendetta, the Howard Hughes movie with. Um, um, Give us a hint. Oh, you know the the woman that Howard Hughes invented the bra. Jane Russell. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and. Um, then his biggest claim to fame, I think, would have been the Count of Monte Cristo. Yes, he was the Count of Monte Cristo on for, television. For, for the uh, television series shot in England and very successful. But he worked with everybody, Edward G. Robinson oh, and, yeah. and, and Elizabeth Taylor. He's in oh, The yeah. Last Time I Saw Paris. My cousin Rachel, Richard Burton. Yeah. and Scared stuff. Stiff, which Gilbert yeah. enjoyed yes. hearing, a Mar Martin and Lewis movie. Did you ever try to get Jerry Lewis on The Monkees? He came. Funny, you should ask that ah. question. I had for totally forgotten. One day we were 
we were told, I remember, because they were looking for directors, because we were killing directors. I mean, actually, a couple had had heart attacks. Wow. It was like really bad. That's a whole other story. And all of a sudden, one day, Bob and Bert said, Jerry Lewis is coming on the set. Consider directing. And I was like a huge fan, huge fan of the delinquent, those early Jerry Jerry Lewis movies. And I remember just like, oh, my God. I mean, how nice. And my understanding is he said, I'm not going to work with these fucking idiots. (laughs) 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 Because we were off the wall. I mean, Bob and Bert and uh, Jack Nicholson and and, uh, James Frawley uh, out of Second City. Sure. Uh, Emmy Award winning. He's still around, James Frawley. Oh, of course. Yeah, he yeah. Is. We'd love to get him on this show. He he directed uh, many, if not most, of the the great episodes. Funny man. He was brought in early times uh, to teach us improv. Um, and I remember our little. I'd never done improv as as a you know actor guy. It was like throw the ball back and forth and do the thing, and you, you're the you know you're this and you're that, and make up some. I I was always very uncomfortable with, with uh, improv and still am. I, I, you know, Drew has, has asked me a number of times in the old days and people have said, oh, come on up. Oh, Drew Carey's asked yeah, you to sorry. be on, on his show. Yeah. Well, he, he did, he did. And, yeah. and, and I know all of them and I'm chicken shit. I just, I just don't know any of those uh, skills. I, I've never trained in them. I can, you know, have a couple of glasses of wine in a bar and be really funny. <laughs> but, but if you if you say, okay, three, two, one, hit it, like Ryan and uh, yeah, they're great. I can't. Do they're that. gifted. I can't. I well, oh my god. So so I can't say to you, okay, you're a farmer and it's a musical. <laughs> <laughs> can I get some more wine? <laughs> it's gonna be one of those. <laughs> Well, you did, and yet your dad worked with Jerry oh, twice. Oklahoma, where the wind. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he gave it. He gave it to you, Gil. <laughs> she and the play. corn is high <laughs> as an elephant's butt, and you can't. <laughs> you know, I rode an elephant. You did? Yeah. When uh, we're during one of the you know big Disney uh, parties. You know that they had a for Aladdin. They had a big parade in the park. It was a saddle on the thing. How yeah. did you get on it? Yeah, they they put a saddle on it. You had a saddle. Yes. Wow. I didn't get a saddle. You both yeah. rode elephants. They they. I had to climb up. You know, well, of course, on a ladder, and to get on. And I <laughs> I didn't want to ride the elephant. I was scared. <laughs> And and they kept asking Anakin, saying, no, no, I'm scared. That's way up in the air. Wow. And then finally they said, oh, um, Entertainment Tonight and a few other TV shows are going to be filming. So I said, all right. I'll get right <laughs> Do you have a picture of this? Yeah, I'm sure there wow. must be. Yeah. It, it, <clears throat> it, it's not difficult because they, they're very broad. They uh-huh. have a large back. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> uh, you ride the neck part, actually. As you remember, uh, the toughest thing for me as as circus boy was that they had this uh, wool kind of circus turn of the century outfit, you know, custom made, you know, from Western costume, and the uh, the hair of an elephant 
is about the diameter of a pencil lead, right? And so if they don't shave it, if they don't, you know, it becomes stubble. But the stubble becomes pencil lead stubble. Wow. And I would get on the elephant. They'd say, okay, mount up, and they'd throw me on top. And I'm like, ow! And because there was this stubble coming through it of a quarter of an inch, and it was going through my outfit, my costume, you know, it was really uncomfortable. <laughs> and I very clearly remember, okay, get him off, get him off the elephant. And they call the handler over, Archie Arkansas was his name, old school handler, and he took a blowtorch My God, to shave the elephant. And the elephant liked it. I mean, <laughs> oh my God. I mean, their skin is two and a half wow. inches thick. I mean, the epidermis is two and a half inches thick. Wow. And the elephant is going, oh, yeah. Oh, baby. Because we're feeding him Baby Ruth candy bars in the wrapper. In the wrapper. Archie Arkansas would say, he loves Baby Ruth candy bars. And I would like try to open. He says, don't bother. Just give him the <laughs> So I'm giving him Baby Ruth candy bars. And Archie Arkansas is shaving him with a blowtorch. And, and the elephant's going, Bimbo's going, oh, yeah. oh, baby, Ruth, mama, yeah. So that Bimbo was Bimbo was one elephant. He wasn't. No, there, was, there, there were there were a couple okay. because okay. They, they would they would outgrow the part, <laughs> like me. I mean, I I outgrew it eventually. Sure, sure. We started with a little baby elephant, but they yeah, they grow up pretty fast. This and one, and, and ahead, one thing, Frank and I are certainly fans of. Your mother worked with Rondo Hatton in the Brute Man. Yes. Yes. Your mother and, didn't make many films. I no, think she made two. No, and I only should two? tell everyone out there: look up Rondo Hatton. You'll recognize him mostly as a mask every Halloween and every store window. Yeah, he was the creeper. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, he had uh, uh, acromegaly. Correct. Yeah, he did. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and she uh, made a film with him. She uh, did a couple of other small things, and then she met my father, and. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, they'd met doing a play together and got married and had me. And and then being old school Italian, he said, my not my wife is never going to work again. You know, you know, that kind of thing. My understanding is I think she had some issues with it over the years. I mean, what she could have been. Bad. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, she, it's auspicious that, debut. I mean, she worked with Claudette Colbert and Shirley Temple and. Yeah, but uh, but having said that, we were blessed. My ch- sisters and I, myself and three sisters, we had a stay-at-home mom. Oh yeah, for our entire that's nice lives, and you can't beat that. And your mom managed your career at a certain point when when Circus Boy took off. You was your grandmother running your fan club? Well, uh, that was later. But okay, my my mom. I had to have someone on the set. Gotcha. And my mom was my set mom. It must have been an extra reward for her to see your success. Oh, yeah. Big time. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And then I made her my business manager in the monkeys. She saved my ass so many times. So she stayed in the business. Yeah, in that sense, yes. I mean, I said, when I got my first big monkey check, 
<laughs> which was like six figures, you know, uh, you know, in the sixties, a lot of money. And I didn't know what to do with it. You know? And I said, mom, hey, well, yeah, what do you want to do? And uh, so I made her my business manager, uh, essentially. And I just gave her the checkbook. I gave her the, uh, everything. And she ran and saved my ass. I mean, invested, you know, in, in things and, made a lot of money eventually in in later years a lot of work for her but uh, but i made it worth her while and um yeah she, you got a stay-at-home mom and a, and, a, and a savvy manager out of oh boy out of, oh boy win-win i can't tell you win-win so that that worked out really well really well <laughs> gilbert you'll appreciate some of the actors that were on circus boy before we move off of circus boy uh slim pickens yep okay uh emile sitka yeah. Wow, from the Three Stooges. Yeah. This one will hurt you. You love birds. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Barty. Gil. Yep. Oh. <laughs> oh, a few times. A few times. Okay. Yeah. Here's yeah. my connection there. I once auditioned for a Mel Brooks movie, Life Stinks, and they were all saying, oh, forget it. You have this part. <laughs> Everyone loves you. You are just exactly who we had in mind. That typical Hollywood bullshit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and and so so then I said, okay, so when will I be shooting this? And they said, oh, they're going with someone else. And I said, <laughs> they're going who? And they said, Billy Barty. <laughs> I laugh every time. And you're 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 uh, now polishing the mouthpiece to your luger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yep, uh, Billy Barney. Uh, oh, there was some... Uh, Jesse White? Yep, Jesse. Oh, oh great. Right. Sterling Holloway? Sterling Holloway. Oh, I remember him really well in the uh, balloon episode. And, wow. Oh, he was wonderful. We had some wonderful guest actors on that show. And and, and he... Oh, and you all remember Sterling... Sterling, Sterling Holloway. Sterling Holloway. Unless I'm... Yeah. yeah. Was, who was... I'm, I hope I'm not fucking this up. I won't say anything because I think I'm fucking. Wasn't he the voice stuff. of Winnie the Pooh, Sterling Holloway? I believe. Yes. I believe he yes. was. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Robert Lowry, who's Great your actor. co-star, who's interesting because he played Batman in a serial in the forties. Oh my God! Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Who one else? of the first Batman? Yeah, he's one of the first Batman. Noah Barry Jr., of course. Noah Barry, incredible actor. Yeah. Wonderful man. Yeah. Went on to be a Rockford's dad. Correct. Um, and. Uh, he really took me under his wing because we had mostly scenes together because he, he's the one that had adopted me. Uh, my parents, the Flying Falcons. Yes. <laughs> the, no, this, the, the story. Stop laughing. The, the backstory of this Circus Boy. This is a serious, sad <laughs> shit. Gilfred, <laughs> stop laughing. <laughs> I'm out of here. I am fucking... <laughs> <laughs> You're... You're making fun of my parents dying in a fucking trapeze accident. That's so cruel. Corky is adopted by a clown, played by the great <laughs> Noah Berry. It's just a, I'll yeah, try to take this bring, seriously. Was, bring everybody was, up to speed on Circus Boy. Pitch, that was the pitch to Columbia's <laughs> Screen Gems, right, from the producers. They hey, bought it. there's this little kid that his parents die and gets adopted by a clown. Great pilot. Boom. Anyway, Noah Bear Jr. was unbelievable. Loved him on the Rockford so, Files. 
He was the father. Yeah, of yeah, Brad. terrific. Wonderful actor, lovely man, and Robert Lowry, and you, as you say, and uh, like Pidge you, Barry, came from an Pidge Barry, family. another great character actor from the forties and fifties. Mm-hmm. Pidge Barry was his name, a, a cowboy kind of uh, character actor, and we had some great. Great people is on Monk, that. Is, uh, is, um, Monk, now I was about to say Monkey Boy. So oh, yeah, combine exactly. the two. Is Circus Boy playing on Antenna TV? Is it? Can you? Can you I find believe it? it? I believe it has. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I always got a kick out of the Porpoise song when there's that. There's that. That reference to. There's that veiled reference to to you and Circus Boy. Sure. Riding on the, riding on the elephant's Backs back. Backs of giraffes. Backs of giraffes. Yeah, it's a fun. It's a fun little inside yeah. joke. While I nudge Gilbert awake, listen to these words from our sponsor. Were you speaking? Happy holidays, everybody. It's Mario Cantone, and you're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I just shit a pod out of my cast. <laughs> Gil and Frank went out to pee. Now they're back so they can be on their amazing colossal podcast. Podcast. Kids, time to get back to Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal podcast. So let's go. So you you had a taste of fame. I mean, you and you and Davy, who also was mm-hmm. a, a child performer, you guys were the, the the two monkeys that were most likely to adjust and easily and, and tell. Tell us uh, what Davy Jones, what big show he was on, on on what big night. Yeah, that's a fun connection. Oh, you know about that? (laughs) (laughs) You've done your research. (laughs) First time I've ever said that to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I have told the story before, so but I'll tell it again. Um, Sixty-three, four. Sixty February sixty-four. February sixty-four. Yeah. Um, I was in, just got out of high school, frankly. Uh, my father just passed away. I, I was a, a bit of a loose end, uh, hanging out, running around San Fernando Valley in an American graffiti-esque sort of zeitgeist. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> that paints a picture. <clears throat> and um, a friend of mine uh, said, I, I got a, a portable uh uh, television, black and white, portable, you can plug into your car. And we knew he'd stole it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you did. You plugged it into the cigarette lighter. This 64. And you put the antenna, rabbit ear, little antennas, up on the roof, and a little cable came down, and you had a little 8-inch black and white Television, and we went to a place uh, in the valley where I grew up called Bob's Big Boys Hamburgers. Oh yeah, very famous. Still there, right? Not that one. Oh, not that one. The one in Burbank still the, there. The one in Burbank is still there. The other one got torn down, and we were there getting served by the girls on the in, in uh, the uh, uh, car hops with you know getting burgers and, and stuff. And somebody said the Beatles are on Ed Sullivan. And we'd heard that this was going to happen. There was a buzz in the air. That's the only thing I can really remember is that there was a buzz in the air about this English thing 
beetle thing, something happening. And sure enough, we tweaked the little rabbit ears on the top of the car. And this little black and white image comes in, and it's uh, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And this other little kid doing a song from Oliver, <laughs> which was on Broadway at the time, named Davy Jones. And we turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, the Beatles are over, you know. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> but years later, of course, it becomes... He was playing the Artful Dodger, Davy. Yeah, he yeah, wa- he yeah. was the Artful yeah, Dodger, yeah. and one of the best... Uh, if not the best Artful Dodgers ever. It's great trivia, too, because people knew, obviously they knew they were watching the Beatles. They didn't know they were watching a monkey, a, no, fu- a, a, a future not. monkey. That was still, too, well, it was actually, funnily enough, it's only two, two years, years away. Two years away. Can you away? imagine? Yeah. 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 And who did Davey know? I've heard this. I thought it was bullshit. Did Davey not know who they were? Is that possible? Couldn't yeah. tell you. Yeah. You'd have to ask him. Yeah, he'd, he'd have to be as late. stupid as Yoko Ono <laughs> not to know who the. <laughs> no, I don't know. I have no idea. And, actually, and here's some worthless trivia. David Bowie's real name was Davy Jones. Yep. that's good trivia. That's good. And worthless trivia is a great name for a group. <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert, you could be the front man yeah. of Worthless Trivia. Tonight at the Whiskey Worthless Trivia with Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> this is my last my last comment on Circus Boy, because only because this name has come up on the show recently. Do you remember a gentleman named William Bodine? Of course. William One-Shot Bodine, as yeah. he became, directed many episodes of Circus yeah. Boy. And a great director. How about that? Yeah. yeah, how do you know that? He directed Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn Gorilla. He's a legend. Oh. Yeah, he was. He was. He was called One Shot Bodine because if if the actor fell over and hit his face on the pavement, he wouldn't do a second take. He <laughs> Funny, good enough because I became known fifty five decades later as One Shot Dolans in England when I started to direct uh, English. TV shows and, and movies, it's not a great rep to have. No. Because then they expect it from you and they don't pay you and you they're expect you're expected to do it in one one take. And uh so a lot of the shit that I directed is shit. <laughs> <laughs> because I got known for being really fast. <laughs> it's like, we need to have this thing shot in 30 minutes. Get Mickey Dolan's. And so it's not necessarily a great, a great rep. Um, uh, but that's true. Yeah, he was, he William was very fast. Jesse he, James meets Frankenstein's daughter. Uh, I believe yes, it was also a William, yes. William Bodine joint. Yeah. yeah he, we're fascinated by his career. Yeah, he he's known for being like, one of the shittiest directors ever. One of the what? The shitty. One of the shittiest directors ever. He was prolific. And though. yeah, he turned him out. Yeah, yeah, because he never did a second take on anything. In my research, I found one other fun thing that we didn't have on you last time from your child acting days is Uh-oh. you played the son of Art Carney. Oh, oh, you found that out? Yes. I actually am quite proud of that little bit um that was playhouse 90 yes sir written by rod sterling wow how about that gilbert yeah called the velvet alley uh starring art carney and Uh, leslie nielsen and jack klugman and jack klugman gee 
Jeez. And I was this little twelve. About at that in that year, I would have been. You, you have to, oh God, you I'd have to look up the year of it. Well, okay. it would. I, I would have been. It was post uh, post circus. Fifty nine, maybe post circus boy. Okay, Those so yeah, fifty nine. That okay. is would be a our, great about right. cast. And I was. Oh my God, it was a wonderful. And it was live. We're talking. Playhouse ninety live TV from CBS Studios on Fairfax and you know, and uh, it was wonderful. It was so exciting. I mean, Frank uh, and it was directed by uh, Frankenheimer. I think. Uh, yes, I think it was. That's direct- pretty cool. Directed by uh, and a script by Rod Serling. He wrote the the story and the script. Yeah, <clears throat> and it was a really interesting. Uh, a thing about a boxer and you know a wonderful beautiful drama so it's art carney jack lugman and, and uh, uh well yes and uh who else did we say leslie nielsen geez. and diane, yes. just to tie it into our show diane cannon was yes it. and a young burt reynolds in that yes you got it according to imdb it, and you know you it had, was wonderful i remember to this day oh my god i was incredibly flattered to be asked and then uh, to do live theater, essentially live theater, uh, was for me as a. I'd already been an actor for like right. ten years, five, six, eight years. I was jazzed. I mean, like Jesus. And Carney was I someone you admired. Well, Carney was. Yeah. No one else I'd ever heard of. Mm-hmm. No, I think I probably would have heard of Serling because right. I, I was a Twilight Zone right. fan. Yeah. Right. But nobody else. And but and how would they like to work with? Well, I don't remember no. specifically, you know, moments. I don't remember any uh, issues or aggravations. Do you have you know? a copy of that, Mickey? Is there any way to find that? I, I looked online. Uh, well, I, you really? There's a there's a, there's, I, well, I there's a version on YouTube with Carney. It's very grainy. Well, because they didn't keep that stuff. I know they didn't even kinescope it. I know it would have been somebody like taking a a movie of. The, their television or some shame it's a real shame yeah because those playhouse 90s were some of them i mean oh requiem for heavyweight i mean there was great stuff huge huge stuff great great stuff that, uh, out there it's too bad nobody bothered but they would throw the stuff away they would yeah we had dick cavalier we were talking about how the first tonight show uh was taped over with go, with groucho introduces carson and there's 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 no way to get your hands on it. Because there's no copy of it. Well, no, but they figured the tape was worth more than the yeah, show. Recycle and, them. And I I think Tragic. it was um, like you're going to erase my show. We're right? going to tomorrow. We're tape over it. it with William Bodine. You, you yeah. haven't yeah. even taped it. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't even bothered to. The mic is licorice. Yes. The prop. <laughs> it's when with uh, Ernie Koufax. Same thing. I think oh, somebody yeah. called no. his How do you wife. know Ernie Koufax? Yeah. You're not old enough to know. <laughs> <laughs> Someone called his wife, some worker on the set. Yeah, Edie Adams, yeah. Yeah, and, and said, come over here. They're burning all of his shows. <sighs> I want to ask you a monkey's question. Because I, I, I find this stuff in research, and I don't know what's BS and what's real. Were you guys invited into the studio one at a time because you couldn't be? You're saying you're saying you were giving directors heart attacks because if you all came in as a group, you became too unruly. You tried to crack each other up. There is some truth in that. Okay, it, it, it's, it, <laughs> they it's, had to isolate you. No, it's not as because you hear that dram- about the Marx it's, Brothers. It's not as dramatic uh-huh. as that, but <clears throat> there uh, was some truth. 
and is some truth in the fact, and to this day. Yeah. Um, like I think I mentioned before, they had encouraged us, indeed trained us to be improvisational with Jim Frawley. And, right. And, and so when we did get together as a cast, and remember, this is we weren't a band. We were a cast. And they had encouraged, nay, uh, uh, educated, really, you know, said, you guys really got to uh, get together as a troop, I guess, whatever you'd call it. So when we did, uh, on a good day, we would, you know, be healthy and happy and we everything would work. On a, on a bad day, so to speak, we would bounce off the walls. I, I mean, imagine. Seriously bounce off the walls. And there was one famous example when we did an episode with a very famous actor, wonderful actor named Hans Conrad. Oh, sure. Oh, my God. Uh, Uncle Tanus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who I have, I was such a fan. I uh, couldn't, can't tell you. But <clears throat> uh, in those days, of course, actors like Hans Conrad would learn their lines and they would expect to come in and, and do their lines uh, on cue, uh, you know, action, boom, you do. And of course, we are off the walls. And there's a famous outtake of him saying, I hate these fucking kids. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is. And I, I don't blame him. And I, to yeah. this day, I feel sorry. But it ain't my fault. The producers encouraged us to do this because what they would do is take the best of the shit and the best of the good stuff and the best of the outtakes and the best of the this. And, and there were other actors and actresses um, at the time who were able to r r go with the flow. Rosemary is yeah. uh, the best example I can uh -huh. think of. We did two or three, at least two or three shows with her. And she got it, and she was like right there and for everything. So they wanted anarchy. They were encouraging you guys to just bounce off the walls and see what they got. Yes. Yeah. They they were. Um, they encouraged, not just encouraged, uh, educated. I mean, they trained Yeah, Because they wanted that uh, idea. They wanted that feeling of spontaneity and because that was the zeitgeist of the time, remember? I mean, well, you wouldn't because you're too young. But uh, the the idea of the 60s, early 60s, was fat, uh, spontaneity, improvisation, anything goes, you know. The, you know, remember, it's the remnants of the beatnik oh, yeah. uh, generation uh, uh, of Kerouac and, uh, and uh, Jack Cassidy and all that idea of it's just, you know, it's, and they wanted a counterculture show. I mean, you guys mess with the censors. You had that famous episode where you were trying to. Where you, oh, I you, told you that you, one. Well, I know about it. I don't. I don't know if you told us the last time you were here. I know about it. Cause it's a famous story where you were. You were. Well, they, you couldn't say hell oh, on, yeah. on network television, and you guys just decided this would be a good time to tweak the network and the censors. Yeah. Well, yeah, not just us. Remember, there's <laughs> Bob Ravelson, Ravelson and, and Schneider. And right. <clears throat> there was an episode called "The Devil and Peter Tork." And it was Faust, essentially, uh, uh, based on the Faustian legend. Um, Peter sold his soul to the devil. Remember it well? Yep. To be able to play the harp, because he couldn't play the harp, but he wanted to. 
And so I can't remember who wrote the episode. Uh, we had some great writers on that series. But uh, somebody wrote the episode that Peter sells his soul to the devil. Uh, uh, Monty Landis. Love Monty Landis. Oh, my God. Incredible character actor. <clears throat> and he comes back to the flat, uh, the apartment in, Mal- in Malibu, our Malibu beach house. <laughs> <laughs> Which begs the question, how could we afford a Malibu beach house <laughs> when we yeah, never got work yeah, ever? <laughs> um, so that's a whole other issue. Um, so Peter comes back, says, I can play the harp. But, but Peter, how, did, how do you do? Well, this guy gave me this contract and we see it. And it's this, uh, the, the contract with the devil. And so the line in the script is, and I think I was the one that was supposed to say it. But Peter, you can't sign this because if you do and you die, you'll go to hell. And they sent it off to uh, the script to Standards and Practices, NBC, New York. And they came back. You cannot say the word hell in primetime television. Ever. And Bob Rafelson, my understanding is that Bob and Bert said, wait a minute, this is Faust. (laughs) 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 Are you kidding me? Damn Yankees? Yeah, sure. Well, this was damn monkeys, essentially. Right. And um, they said, no, you can't say it. So Bob went to New York, I understand, and and flew to New York and argued with the uh, standards and practices of the time. And they said, no, you cannot say hell in primetime television in 1966. And so if you look at the episode now, uh, that scene comes up, and I believe I'm, I'm the one that says, but Peter, you can't do that because if you sign this, you will go to this place that we can't <laughs> say on network television. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> <laughs> fourth wall broken oh boy yeah yeah i mean think back how bizarre that must have been yeah well our, the sensors were all over us i'll bet and that's why when we did head we just said that's it we're <laughs> gonna do what we want did you dump a, a soda over kirshner's head is that true too no not well <laughs> uh, uh, with an amendment okay it was not a soda. It was just a bit of ice. Okay. That was a leftover soda. Um, uh, I, but I got to preface it by saying <laughs> Donnie Kirshner now, especially in retrospect, was so responsible for so many great hits. He was the songmeister of the Brill Building. Yeah, sure. Right? He was Screen Gems publishing music. Donnie was the one picking from Neil Diamond, from Carol King, from who, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if you saw Beautiful, but uh, his character is exemplified by by the guy in, in Beautiful that says, we got this show, uh, TV show b- about this band. You got to write some stuff. And Carol and Jerry write Pleasant Valley Sunday. But, right. <clears throat> so uh, I, I have nothing but admiration for Donnie Kirshner. He had golden ears golden ears he could hear those but i didn't know who he was because he was in new york i was in la and i was 20 years old 
and I'm in the midst of this, I'm in the eye of the hurricane, and this guy comes in once in a while in a suit, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, looking like the vice president or somebody. <laughs> <It's> like, <clears throat> and he's like, you know, giving orders and kind of, you know, you know, directing people around. And I had no clue who he was at the time. Years later, I did. And so we're in the, the way I remember it is that we were in the studio and there was, Mike was in the studio, Peter and we were all there for some reason. I don't remember why doing vocals or instruments. And Donnie, who I had no idea who he was, I don't even know if I'd been introduced, um, made some comment, very technical kind of comment like, you know, there's a little bit too much EQ on the bass. And, you know, I'm stoned. (laughs) And we're all just like rocking and rolling. And it's like midnight, uh, you know, after we filmed the TV show for 10 hours. Mm -hmm. Long days. Yeah, long days. And so I had an empty cup paper cup of coca-cola or something in a in a with some ice in it and just as an improvisational (laughs) gag (laughs) which they taught me to do i just went oh donnie and i (laughs) poured the ice over his head so it wasn't a whole cup of coke it It was just the story's changed a bit of ice well you know fake news yeah 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 uh urban myth and but he did ask me to come out into the hallway uh, after that. And he, and he said, you know, you don't, I don't even know if you know who I am, but um, I do wish you would take, you know, treat me with a little more respect. And I took that on board. I, wow. I was like, yeah, I, I, okay, I'm sorry. I was just fucking around. Uh, you know, they... They tell me every day to fuck around. So <laughs> I don't know. Are, maybe there's cameras here and we're going to use it in the show. I mean, it was li- literally so, like So it's hard to turn it off even when you stop, even when Impos- you stop shooting. Impossible yeah, yeah. to turn it How off. How did they pitch it Impossible to you? Impossible to turn it off. I'm That's sure. a really important idea. How did they pitch it to you? Did they say this is Hard Day's Night? This is Lester. This is the Marx Brothers. This is... Well, how well, how I did they only, present what they were going for? Were they that I, specific? I can only describe to you my experience, and I can guarantee you that if you talk to Mike yeah. or Peter, well, obviously not not David anymore, but you'll get probably, you know Rashomon? Sure. Oh, yes. You get different versions. Hello. Yeah. This is Monkeyman. Monkey Rashomon. <laughs> <laughs> Monkey, Monkey Rashomon. <laughs> Because we were all totally unknowables. We never knew each other. We hadn't met. But I, w- I will tell you my my version, my story. I was, uh, my agent called me up one day. Uh, I was in, uh, enrolled in uh, college doing architectural drafting. And he said, there's a audition for a TV show. And I wasn't stupid. I mean, I had been in TV shows, so I, I was doing television work in the in the summer between classes, 
uh, Peyton Place. Uh, uh, my Three Sons. Yeah, My yeah. Three Sons. Uh, right, right. Mr. Novak. Right, uh, Mr. Yeah. Novak, James I Francis. was just making money. I mean, I could do that or either work at Bonds, you know, as a bag boy. But I was in school. I was in college doing uh, architectural drafting. And I figured if I can't make it as an architect, I can fall back on showbiz. So I get my call from my agent. Do you want to do this uh, interview? It's uh, another series this year, 65. Okay, I'll do it. Well, I was up for four different series that year, musical shows. Oh. It was in the air. Oh, it was big time in the air. Because of the Beatles, not just the Beatles, but the Beach Boys and like the whole rock and roll world. And uh, one show called The Happeners. The Happeners. I, I was up for. Wow. It actually, it was Peter, Paul, and Mary, essentially. Not them, but... A folk trio. Uh, folk, folk thing. Yeah. <clears throat> Hour-long kind of drama thing. Went to pilot. I was up for it. I didn't get the part. Uh, uh, did not sell in the overnights. Uh, the other, another one I remember being up for was uh, Surfer Band. Kind of a Beach Boy thing. Uh because uh, they were huge. I don't remember the name, it, but I was up for it. I went in, did the audition, and whatever. Uh, it did not go to pilot. Uh, and the other one I remember is a new Christian minstrel, Randy Sparks, kind of The Mighty Wind. <laughs> you know that movie? The sure, Mighty? sure. Yeah. yeah, the big 30 people on stage. I got a hammer. Like a folk festival. or hammer, uh, yeah. Hammer. Yeah. Big folk groups. Yeah. Big, big yeah. 30 piece folk. Yeah. Um, uh, and I can't remember the name of that one, but um, uh, uh, it did not go to play. All these music pilots in one season. Well, or, I, I was up for four. Wow. There might have been more, but uh, because it's 1965. Right. And so the folk thing is hit. Rock and roll thing is hit. The Beatles have hit. It's like British Invasion. Ev ev yeah. Every producer in Hollywood in the world is like, how do we capitalize on this uh, uh, miracle? I mean, uh, how do we capitalize on this? Um, and then there was this audition for the Monkees. It was like Ben Frank. And types. I told you, yeah. Was there an in joke by the way in that ad when they wrote? Yes. Uh, must come down. Must come down for interview? <laughs> <laughs> Not a joke. Must come down for interview. Yeah. <laughs> Is that Rafelson's so, gag? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Did Paul Williams audition? Yeah. Yeah. To this day, he hates me. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best guy. I, I love him to death. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, um, we're, we're actually great, great friends. When I uh, directed, wrote the... Uh, English musical uh, Bugsy Malone. Oh, sure, Paul's Paul's. I, I I engaged him to write three or four more songs. Right, and so we hung out a lot. I I, I know him well, and he has never forgiven me because <laughs> not only was he up for the monkeys, he was up for Circus Boy. Oh my oh, God, jeez, stolen Paul Williams thunder at every turn. Were they? Did they entertain the idea of of using an existing group, Mickey? Yes, like they did. Like to start with a love and spoonful, and, yes. and yeah. Boy, you've done your homework. I well, love we it. try. I love. <laughs> I this love stuff. it. I love this stuff. So no, they 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 did. My understanding is they did. They 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 did interview the love and spoonful. 
Um, I have no idea. I was not there, obviously. And I have no idea why they made the decisions that they did make. Right. But I suspect that <clears throat> between Bob and Bert, Jackie Cooper, and Paul Mazursky, and all these other uh, elements, these other entities, um, you know, having a musical sensibility is fine and great. And most bands, most groups, have that because they grew up together. They are relatives. Right. They are friends from childhood, and they have a very similar uh, sensibility. And that's great musically, not necessarily visually. The Marx Brothers were the most different, absurd uh, characters you can imagine. They were not a group. They weren't a band. They were this cast of this like bizarre. Right. You know, but they'd honed that for for 30 years or on th- stage. 35 on, years on stage. Sure. Sure. So <clears throat> Bob and Bert, <clears throat> somebody, and I'm assuming it was Bob and Bert and Jackie Cooper and whoever said, you know, and I don't know, maybe they did tests, uh, whatever. You know, we just can't put four very similar people on st- on this stage, on this show, because no one will know who's who, and it will all look very similar. So we need to go with very, very different characterizations. And my understanding is that they loosely thought, you know, one wacky, one Will Rogers, one uh, Harpo Marx, one Peter Tork, right? One cute little guy, and to give the audience, you know, all these different sort of characters to I identify with, and if they would have put, because most groups at the time were brothers and cousins sure, and sure. and uh, sonically of course it was amazing visually where do you go with it you know where do you go with the comedy and so somebody along the line must have said you know we need to like have these very very different characters Chem- the chemistry is lucky because you can't you you, you can't force chemistry or make chemistry but you <clears throat> no. but the four of you guys but what they did wisely <clears throat> were the screen tests and they went on and this is what I, what I was referencing earlier they went on for like i say to to my mind it was like friggin months probably wasn't it was only a few weeks but what they did is they kept putting us together with each other. Uh, <clears throat> I remember it starting out like at 32, then it went to 16, then it was like eight. And the, 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 the videos you find on, the, on YouTube are the last eight, uh, David, Michael, Peter, and I, and four other right. gentlemen. Uh, and they... They must have been looking for that. That's I well, I know that's what they were looking for because I've done that since. It's an intangible thing, but you, I guess you know it when you see it. Yeah. 
And I have done that. Yeah. As now, a director. As a producer. As a director. director. And producer. John Cast- Lennon uh, paid you the ultimate compliment. I think John Lennon referred to the monkeys as the modern day Marx Brothers. Yes. Yes. Well, you've often he, said he that. He got it. Yeah. He got it. Uh, it wasn't the monkeys trying to be the Beatles. It was the monkeys being essentially the Marx Brothers. You've always yeah. said the people you admired got it. Lennon, Zappa, the people the people whose opinions mattered to you. Well, to me, yeah. Understood what you were trying to do. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even get it at the time. <laughs> I, was just, <laughs> I, was just, I was just picking up my check every week for $400. And, oh, God. $400 a week. That's it. Wow. Oh, my God. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Now, and how did Head come about? Sorry? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the movie! Oh, uh, yes! Oh, We're jumping sorry. ahead. We're jumping ahead a few years. So, uh, sorry, Gilbert. You mean the movie? Yes. <laughs> well, because I also heard... That I and I don't know if this is true. I hope it's true. That the reason they called it head is so they could make another one and advertise it as from the people who gave you head. Absolutely right. <laughs> another great. I joke. remember that from. No, that is absolutely true from what I remember from the day one. Yes. Well, the the short story is after the show was canceled. Uh, for whatever reason, um, Bob and Bert came to me, and I can only speak for myself, and said, we, we uh, want to make a movie. Uh, Abe's father is the head of Columbia Pictures. We think we can get the financing. But we want to do something maybe a little different than what we have done on the show. Because on the show, we couldn't say... Hell. Sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. And and we couldn't talk about anything else, political, social. It was and that looking back, that was a wise decision. Uh that what it was not the platform. That was not the platform to make statements and stuff. Um and and I think that's one of the reasons it lasted so long uh, until this day, is we didn't make Topical satirical statements. That was a smart decision. Very yeah. smart decision. Yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> but when the idea for the movie came along, uh, I just can speak for myself. Uh, Bob, uh, I guess, came to me and said, "Well, he introduced us to uh, Jack Jack Nicholson. He was a boom B movie actor at the time, and." He was just so funny and so clever and so intelligent and so smart. And it was just like, I fell in love with him. I wanted to have his children. I'm, just like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, this is the greatest guy I've met in, you know, years. And he spent time with me and my wife and my family and Mike and Peter and David. He got a sense of who and what it was. He and Bob must have obviously, you know, uh, spent a lot of time together because I had signed off on, okay, I'm happy to do a movie 
that is not a 90-minute monkey episode. In retrospect, of course, that would have been incredibly more successful, but it would not be the top five movies of Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> right. Or Edgar Wright. Well, you guys or, were trying to break out. You were trying to do something different than you'd well, done. Well, you know, I, I'd like to think that I was thinking that. You weren't. No. Yeah. I was just going with the flow. Bob and Bert and Jack and and everybody were like, hey, let's just go for it. I had nothing to lose. I was this huge fucking star. <laughs> and I, I, I was like, let's do something different, guys. But that was the, that was the sensibility of the moment anyway. Right, right. They'd done that with the monkey show. Right. They'd done that with the show. The show itself had like broke all the barriers. And, and so... I'm now 22, 23, and I'm like, yeah, fuck it, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. And uh, we sat down with each other and with Jack uh, and Bob, and I have film. I have actual film footage of this meeting. Wow, I'd love to see no, that. No sound, but and we, a little tape recorder, and we sat down in a hotel room in Ojai for a weekend, and- we talked about what we wanted to do, what we didn't want to do, what we'd be comfortable doing, what we... It was this total Kerouacian, <laughs> on-the-road sort of Jack Cassidy. I mean, looking back, that's what we were doing. It was this just chain of... You know, what do you call it? The stream of consciousness? Stream of consciousness. Thank you. Yeah. Um and out of that, Jack, to his glory, uh, wrote this incredible screenplay. I'm not sure how much Bob had to do with it, frankly, but I, 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 th I would think probably a bit, a lot maybe. But Jack just went away, and after meeting us and being there and seeing the whole monkey thing from, like, every aspect, and he went and wrote this, you know, I think, really amazing uh, uh, screenplay. And so here's my thoughts. At that time, the only kind of 60s hippie kind of movies that were being made were, and I love them to death, uh, Peter Fonda, you know, and... Oh, the psych out and those kind of things. Yeah. And the freaky, right. far the out, freako, Yeah, the trip. Um, the trip. The trippy yeah. Which I remember watching. This is not what it's like. What it's like is in here. It ain't out there. All the experiences, all those sensibilities, all those moments, all that, you know, essence, that zeitgeist again, it was here. In the head. In our heads. Yes. Not out there. That's what the press and the, you know, fake news. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, they were like taking pictures of, 
you know, VW vans with flowers. I never saw a fucking VW van with flowers. <laughs> ever! <laughs> if, there probably was one, but, but that was not what it was about. And Jack, God love him, and Bob and Bert captured the reality of that time. That movie is the only movie I've ever seen that captures the moment. Everything else is Roger Corman. Sorry to Roger, but, you know, I love him. He's a great filmmaker. But everything else was bullshit. So the real, ex- the real experience of the 60s and, and well, what, you were, what, you movie, were, uh, what you were living. I think that movie, uh, and I only had a very small part to do with it. Fascinating. I think that it captured a couple of things. And I haven't, wait a minute, I haven't even started. It not only captured the sensibility of the moment, but more importantly, it captured the idea and Bob and Bert and Jack and Peter Fonda and uh, Dennis Hopper and Martin Scorsese, the idea of the deconstruction of the Hollywood studio system. This is what was their goal. I did an interview for a Raging Bull. Easy, oh, Easy, Easy Riders Rider, and Raging, Raging Bull. Bull. Yeah. yeah, good book. Yeah, great book. <clears throat> and now looking back, I didn't even think of this at the time. But looking back, this is what was the intent. At that time, as you well know, if you weren't part of the Hollywood studio system, you could not get a movie even made. If you did, if you're lucky to raise enough money like Billy Jack or somebody. Sure. It didn't matter. You couldn't get it distributed. You were fucked. You, you couldn't, the, you know, you're not going to get 30 screens. You're not going to get one screen. You're not, getting, you're not getting shit. And Bob and Bert and Peter and uh, Dennis, obviously, and uh, uh, they're all in the movie Head, by the way. Sure. They, this is my take on it. They said, this is our out clause. This is our way to break out of this fucking locked-in Hollywood studio system. Abe, uh, Bert's father is Abe at Columbia. We can make a movie that, and it was cheap, two fifty, three hundred thousand, uh-huh. something for head. But we can make a movie that, like, you know, sets a different sort of parameter. I mean, it's like all of a sudden, here's something different. And that is you know, what the movie was. And they took that money, they made Easy Rider. That's right. That's right. People people forget that. And Easy Rider, of course, totally deconstructed the Hollywood studio system. It created the independent film industry. I got a question here from somebody loosely connected to that movie. You know Victoria Mature? Victor yeah. Mature's daughter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, I told you you were going to be on. She says, please ask Mickey, uh, at the premiere of Head in New York, there was some kind of art installation. 
Was it an Andy Warhol thing? Does he have any memory of that? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Look at you. Absolutely, I do. Andy uh, Warhol was a fan, a big fan. He got it. Another guy who got the monkeys. He got the monkeys, the whole pop culture thing, you know, God no, I mean, way beyond my sensibilities at the time. But he was a big fan. He came up to me and introduced himself, you know, like Frank Zappa, like others, mm-hmm. uh, John Lennon. I bet Harry got it too. Oh, yeah. Another smart guy. Harry. With a, with a wicked sense of humor. De- Harry definitely got it. Um, and yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Look at that. You got a vivid memory for all of this stuff. <laughs> from my age, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, just, just the stuff that you want to. Can you talk a little bit about your adventures with the with the Hollywood vampires, which I think Gilbert oh, is fascinated yes. by, with uh, Mr. Nielsen sure. and Mr. Cooper? Absolutely. Um, Alice lived next door to me. Uh, his name was Vince, actually. Was it Vince uh, Fournier? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we became friends. Um, he recorded uh, in my studio his demo album, uh, a couple of them. We just became friends and hang out and stuff. Um, and uh, played golf together. My ex-father-in-law, uh, an English duffer, um, taught both he and I to play golf. Uh-huh. Of course, Alex... Alice is now like a three in a handicap or something or better. And I'm, I'm not good at all, but um, one day Alice says, and he lives next door to me. He moved next door to be next to me. Alice Cooper did. Alice yeah. did. Cause we knew each other <clears throat> and we built this like kind of, launch thing what do you call it a um, catapult <laughs> where we would send beer cans <laughs> into each other's pools <laughs> and alice babysat for my daughter wow when when samantha my first wife and uh, would go out of town and he, if alice w- was in town with his wife at the time i have pictures of him babysitting my my daughter uh, amy uh, with a can of bud, <laughs> and and we 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 became very 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 good friends, very close, and um, uh, he would record in my little demo studio. I have the original "Only Women Bleed." I love, know, love that song. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And um, then one day he said, "We should start a charity baseball." softball uh, team. <laughs> and that's what it started as. <laughs> the Hollywood vampire started as, Hollywood, as a charity baseball pe- team. <laughs> and, I know, and people laugh and they go, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> oh my God. It was a softball charity. If you look and you find any photos of us, I wish to God I had wow. this damn shirt. It was a baseball shirt with a vampire thing. We were doing charity baseball, softball events with the fire department, with another record company, with the police department, with, uh, we were raising money for charity. Doing, uh, myself, Alice, Harry, Albert Brooks, you know, whoever. And we would play these local 
softball games trying to raise money for charity. And then we would, you know, finish the game, usually lose, <laughs> and then go to the Rainbow Barn Grill and get hammered. <laughs> but the intention... <laughs> it was well-intentioned. Original intention was... And we did. We did raise money, and we ra- and we played the police department and the fire department, and we, and we would raise money for local I never knew law this. enforcement. Or the the best one was that we got challenged by a uh, a boys' school. Uh, what do you call it? Not a boys' school. A detention. Uh, oh, like a reform school. Yeah, yeah. Thing up in the hills above L.A. <laughs> and. They challenged us to a softball game. And so we went up there, me and Alice and uh, whoever. Peter Tork played. He's actually a really great athlete. Keith Moon wasn't playing, was he? Because he was a. He was a. I don't he was rem- sort of an. an, an I don't remember him okay. playing. Okay. <laughs> but I do remember uh, 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 Albert, Albert Brooks uh-huh. and Alice and myself, Peter um, Tork. Um, a, a few others that actually were, you know, okay, okay athletes, and we we went up to Angeles Crest Highway and to this boys' reform place, and we just got the shit kicked out of us. <laughs> these, these kids just beat the shit out of us, <laughs> but we made the point. I mean, it's like, and we raised a little money, and 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 then we went to the Rainbow and. Got hammered. That's just hilarious. <laughs> but this is how it started. So it was not a drinking club. It was and not. I, I want to. You're making go news. Down on record, it did not start out as a drinking club. It started out as a charity softball team. That's uh, fascinating for, to me. <laughs> uh, to raise money for uh, local causes. I know. love that. As, go ahead, Gil. You have something? No. I was going to say, as we're winding nothing. down, Mick, tell us about the new album. Tell us about Christmas Party. Well, after uh, the incredible success of uh, Good Times, which was which is great. this last uh, album. Monkey fans, please get it. It's great. Oh, my you, God. You'll, you'll be I, glad you did. You know, who 50 years ago, 50 years later, five decades later, gets a top 20 uh, album? Um, the equivalent I worked out mathematically was that if in 1967 Enrico Caruso would have had a top 20 wow, album from 1917. <laughs> that's mind-blowing. Or yes. Eddie Cantor. What an analogy. Or, yeah. I worked the math out. So the fact that a 50-year-old uh, act... Yeah. Gets top 20, uh, pretty uh, cool album alone. That is, and I, I feel so blessed to have, you know, all these writers. Uh, Andy ben, Partridge. Ben Gibbard, yeah. uh, Alan Partridge, uh, Rivers Cuomo. I yeah. mean, oh my God, I, I feel Peter so, Buck. so blessed. Yeah. And, well, the new one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the Christmas one now. So after Good Times, the record company, of course, wanted to... Uh, capitalize on it and chase it up. I did not feel comfortable trying to do Good Times 2 uh, immediately. Uh, it 
would have been a lot of work and 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 very difficult difficult decisions because uh, a lot of the material that we had found was archival, and there was some, and there is some, and we may do that, but I just I just didn't I thought you know. We just got this. It's still on the charts. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, what are we going to do? You know, resurrect some other Davy Jones old vocal. And it just sure. seems a little bit. Do something different. Yeah. So uh, someone at Rhino uh, said, how about a Christmas album, which we had never done. And I, as sort of the de facto lead singer, I said, wow, that's a cool idea. I mean, because it is not this kind of attempted follow-up, you know, number two, you know, Good Times 2, you know, Batman 2. And so we reached out, Adam Schlesinger essentially reached out to Rivers Cuomo and to Andy Partridge and to uh, the other writers and said, you got... What do you got? And we did find stuff from Davey. Right. From the 70s. And Nez came up with a beautiful version of Snowfall, which I love because I remember my mom singing it in the 50s. Mm. You know, originally it was a, a, a instrumental. I like Tony Bennett's version, but I haven't heard the instrumental. No, the instru- it, that was the original. Oh. There wasn't ver- uh, lyrics. Oh. In the 30s. Interesting. I'd like to hear that. I think the 30s. I think 30s. I'd like to hear it that. It was just an instrumental. And someone, I can't remember the name, probably have it here somewhere, wrote the lyrics. And so Nez does that. It's beautiful. And I do a couple of, you know, I, I think pretty cool tunes. I heard and, the uh, single, this uh, Unwrap You for Christmas. Yeah. Unwrap You at Christmas. Yeah. Good. What do you say, Gilly? Well, we'll plug the we'll plug the album one more time, the Christmas album, Christmas Party. Thank you. And and Nez Dolan's dates coming in 2019. Yeah. Uh the confirmed dates are March. Uh the makeup dates from uh the last tour. Thank God, Touchwood Nez is uh healthy uh and um and eight more. Fantastic. Yeah. We we can't do more than two or three a week. We're we're both way too old and ugly. To- <laughs> <laughs> all okay. right, Gilly. So first of all, before anything else, Peter Talk, if you're out there, you have to get well and come on this podcast. Yes, please, Peter. Yes, if, you, if you're hearing oh. this, I hope you are well. Please come on and meet with my friends here. It is so fun, and it's not far from you. Uh, he's uh, in Connecticut. Oh, good. Yeah, we'll so even send an engineer to him. Please. We'll oh, make, yeah, that we'll would interview be cool. him right yeah. in his living room. So make that, it easy please, for him. Please, 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 please. Absolutely. They would so love to hear from you. I hope you're well. Uh, and to you, Nez, I know you're uh, recovering, and you are also well. That's wonderful. Yes, we love Mike. Yeah. And in fact, both of you get extra healthy and come on together. <laughs> we'll make news. And and fuck Mickey Dolans. <laughs> in in your dreams, Kevin. <laughs>
in your fucking dreams. You wish never gonna happen. Answer that phone, Mick. Thanks for doing this. So, yeah. It was a blast. So, uh, yeah. Mickey, Peter, best of health to both of you. That was Mike and Peter. Mike and Peter. (laughs) Oh, fuck it all. I gotta get to sleep. Peter, you get well and do this show. Um, uh, Mike, you get well and do a return visit. Absolutely. And, uh... (laughs) I want to thank Mike Dopkins too, for helping with research. Go fuck yourself. Mick, thanks, for make, thanks for making the schlep. <laughs> thank you, Mickey. Godfrey's amazing colossal podcast is produced by Dara Godfrey and Frank Santa Padre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fodiatis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn. Christmas.